Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where the discussion ranges from employee safety, environmental protection, policy creation, training methods, employee engagement, and everything in between. Your host is Dr. Mark French. As an industrial and organizational psychologist and certified safety professional, he's going to share information and anecdotes from years of experience in the people side of safety. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It is a motivational need that defines the culture of your organization. Employee safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone through direct behavioral engagement. That is why your organization should be using safety as a key method to learn about your culture and lead your teams. Thanks for joining this episode as we talk through current issues in EHS and how they impact our everyday workplace. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. I'm Mark. I'm your host for this podcast always so happy that you've joined me always a pleasure to have you as part of the conversation that we have about safety and the psychology behind it how it creates leaders how we learn from our people as part of our safety process so a lot of heat moving through the united states here recently a lot of heat indexes very high a lot of uh, really interesting temperatures moving through. So we've seen some great increase. I know I've had to talk a lot about heat stress management. And I do want to kick off the podcast by hopefully you're talking to your team about heat stress. Uh, it's very important because even indoors or some areas, maybe the, the ventilation is not working or it's not air conditioned in the first place in the areas that sometimes some technical workers would be or for HVAC workers on a roof. Uh, We want to make sure they're safe, that they have some sort of shade, that they have plenty of water to drink, and they know to take extra breaks or extra long breaks if the temperature is exceptional. And even talking about items like prehydrating, making sure that before you go into a situation, uh, you're having some water, having some Gatorade, having something that prepares you to go into that and even some choices at home like uh, how hard did you party last night before you came to work might want to be careful about that and the for those that have to work in the really extreme temperatures and to watch out for them and to check in on them make sure they're okay so a little safety tip to kick off this podcast because it's been something that I have been talking about a lot and something that's really in the forefront of my mind I want to jump into uh, COVID. We've been talking about it again at the first half of the podcast, and it continues to be something that we as the safety profession is having to adapt to. It's one more item that we're working on that is taking a great priority over what we are doing in the health and safety world. One article that I came across was that uh, the talk about workers' compensation claims, that the longer that this process is going, the longer that we have these COVID issues happening, the more that our workers' compensation system is getting clogged up because there's, a, I think there's a lack of information and a, there is some information from OSHA of what is recordable. There's not a lot from state to state of concrete information about workers' compensation compensability and the due diligence that may be required from us as employers 
to understand the risk that is out there for what we owe to the team, depending on their exposure. Like, do we know that we had an exposure? How bad was it? Did it lead to any potential for someone to contract it? What were they doing outside of work? How much of this information are we going to be able to legitimately receive and use that is good usable data? It's all very tough to process. And the longer this is happening, the more that's being filed, the more that's trying to be understood. And in most cases, the workers' compensation systems were pretty full anyway. They were busy. They were certainly had a caseload for each of their, their workers that was moderate and to high. They were full. <laughs> they were doing as much as they could to keep things moving as it was. And now we, we add all of this COVID uncertainty. And the more that it continues, the more people that are going to continue to file, the more people we are seeing infected, the more that are questioning, did I get it at work? Did I not? And how do we handle those claims? And so as an employer, as someone who has to focus on this, we have to do our due diligence. We have to ask the questions. We have to get the best data that we can. And we have to try to do the best we can with what we have in this uncertain time, in this uncertain level of not knowing where the law will stand at the end and what kind of mandates will be performed. Are you following the current guidance for your state and, and local municipalities along with the CDC and what they are saying? I think there's a lot of debate there on some local jurisdictions doing less, doing more, and how do we adapt? How do we be prepared for that as safety professionals? It's a, it's a lot of work on our shoulders that um, from a busy standpoint before. And then one other article that I found very interesting is that the Occupational Safety and Health Administration is starting to put employers on alert after issuing penalties for willful citations for infections, uh, bloodborne pathogen standard, and of course the respirator standards that are out there and the PPE standards, they're starting to cite willful violations, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to healthcare industries that are not doing what they should do for COVID. Now that could have, again, what would make it willful and how would they determine that? There's still a lot of uncertainty with how that is going, but they are basically putting a lot of healthcare alert that you know you are the first response. You are going to see COVID cases because you are in healthcare, especially the hospitals, emergency room departments, uh, ICU units. They are going to be the ones that are going to see COVID. Uh, if it's in the community, they are the ones that are going to see it. Those primary care physicians, they are going to see it. So if they're if there's any COVID cases, so let's, let's just go to the base. We have a lot of COVID cases, but they're going to see a medical provider. They're going to have to, they are going to have exposure where other organizations, other industries may not have that level of exposure, not even close to it, but our healthcare workers will. So what OSHA is doing is first focusing on them. They know the exposure is there and they are saying you know you have the exposure. You know you should be doing certain items, respirators, PPE, disinfecting, hand washing, 
making sure people have places to go that have food that are separated from where they're working, giving them the tools, the equipment, the knowledge, the processes, and the ability to go and do it. Throwing PPE at someone or throwing a few extra hand sanitizers and not giving them the time or the level or the process or the knowledge to go and do it creates that negative behavior. And that's unfortunate, and that is something that should not be happening. Because when we look at behaviors, there's a reason behind the behavior. Why am I not wearing my respirator? What is the reasoning? Were you fitted for it? Is it the right one? Is the mask functional? You're supposed to wash your hands more. You're supposed to do more disinfecting. I don't have time. There's not enough people to do it. There's not enough. We have to get the room ready faster. We have to do a lot. Some hospitals are taking it to that next level. They're doing a great job. But OSHA is saying that those who are not, those who are ignoring it, those who are not doing the right thing, not giving their people the time and the empowerment to do it, that there could be willful violations that come from that. So very interesting. And again, the more we see and the more this is spiking again in the numbers, the more we'll see OSHA getting involved. We're supposedly going to see some emergency regulations come through soon. So we will see how this continues to progress. More podcast in just a moment. You've got a friend in the safety business. Who wants to help your team work safer? The safety dude. Who wants to help your leadership engage through safety? Again, the safety dude. Who is there to take your safety systems to the next level? That's right, the safety dude. Who has the knowledge and skill to drive safety ownership? You know it. The Safety Dude. So who is the Safety Dude? Dr. Mark French is an experienced and credentialized safety professional with a focus on the organizational psychology of your company. You can find a Safety Dude at TSD Amalgamated Safety Consulting, where he is ready to focus on your team's safety. www.tsdamalgamated.com Welcome back to the second half of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Again, really happy you've joined me. Uh, happy to have this conversation about safety. Came across an article that really sparked some passion, um, theoretical passion, I guess, uh, in something I'm, I've researched and read about and really thought about in my career here recently, in the past few years especially. And it was a, an article about a 21-year-old who lost their life. They were working for a company that digs in-ground swimming pools. And the device they were using to dig tipped over and landed on this worker, killing them. And it highly, highly unfortunate. Not a lot of details of why or how. It was mainly... This is what we know, and of course the investigation will be done. There'll be, there'll be information at the end of what happened. The biggest question, now of course this is me, in my mind, my biggest question is what kind of safety training did this 21-year-old get? Were they uh, someone who understood safety? Had they been around the business? What kind of training were they getting ahead of that? And I think that's one of the interesting things, and this is a whole different topic. I'm not going to go deep into this, but there's been discussion about practicality in high school education. 
like what is it that they should be learning, practical economics, practical uh, experience work, and even like an OSHA 20 or an an OSHA 10 or an OSHA 30 card maybe is something that would be part of a high school curriculum to help them understand that when you leave, you have some world experience, at least to know that you have the right to be safe. Because some, I'm not going to say a lot, because the data is inconclusive, but this happens where someone enters the workforce and they may not have received safety training. They may not know they have rights from safety. And I've seen this in my career or meeting people. I had, I did a new hire orientation. Of course, part of that new hire orientation is you have to teach about universal precautions with bloodborne. And I had someone at the end of the presentation talk to me about, you know, they never knew that they had worked in a company where there was a lot of cuts and things. And they just cleaned it up and there was no training. There was no, um, and they were minors. Not like there was just blood and gore everywhere. But like if someone had a minor cut and you need to step into their work where they left, you just cleaned it up and there was no training. There was no universal precautions. There was no anything to do with the bloodborne pathogen standard, no training. And he was amazed. He's like, well, they weren't doing it right the whole time. And I was, I was happy one that we was able to, that something that was so routine to me, help someone else understand something. But this is a common problem that in the workforce, you get on the job training. And a lot of companies have come to the conclusion that they can combine on the job training with safety training. And sometimes that safety training doesn't take root because it is so embedded in the on the job training. Now, should, should safety training be integrated? Yes, I'm not arguing that at all, but I'm going to take you through this theoretical process. So someone is brought on board to an organization. They are giving on-the-job training that also has safety training. And a lot of time, what that is, is that you walk them through the process. Like here is our full process, step one through step 20. There's nothing that designates in some cases that maybe step three is safety, that we do this because it is the safer way to do it. And step seven is a safety step. We do it because it's the safe way to do it. That message of safety is not there or not prominent. And you only have the job steps. So we as people, we will find the easiest way to do a job. So this is where shortcuts can sometimes be inadvertently built into a process that they start doing these 20 steps and they realize that step three, step seven, and step 14 are just extra work and it doesn't make sense. And you try it one time. Let me try that without step three. Hmm, Nothing happened. Nothing bad happened. And I'm okay. And I got done a little bit faster. Well, I'm going to skip. I'm going to try this again. And you get comfortable with that skip not knowing that that was put into place because it can lead. It has the risk of a safety issue. And then suddenly they're hurt or worse. And you go back and go, well, why weren't you following your policy? You weren't following the standard. Well, how could you not follow? You need more training because you didn't follow the standard. They didn't know the standard was for safety. And that's where I am a proponent of doing like a safety training or having a method of making sure that if it is a safety step, if it's a safety process, you call it out. I like looking at job tasks where they have the green cross next to it. It says this step here is for your safety or it has a way or maybe it's in green text or it's something that highlights that this step 
this process was built in for your safety. Don't shortcut it. Don't, don't skip it. You got to do it this way because it's for your safety. I think that's a good way of doing it. And it also, if you do something with that integrated, you, you mix both together, it works very well. And I've seen where it's went from, I've seen organizations that have thought that this is such a lean mentality. And even the trainers themselves may not know that they really need to call out that this is a safety step. And so I go back to this article and I wonder, what was the training this person received about heavy equipment? Were they trained to stay distance away? Did they know there was a hazard with it when it's moving or whatever it was doing and shifting to keep that distance, to not be in the line of fire? What kind of training was there? And there's some amazing articles by a, um, a researcher, Christina Zero, that um, I loved as part of when I was doing a lot of research. And she looked at the idea of on-the-job training and the effectiveness for young workers because this is their first impact into safety, their first real-world view of work. And they're not coming in potentially with the skills to know what is safe and unsafe in that environment. Maybe it was okay to stand that close. Maybe you saw someone else standing that close. And the worst case happened. Same thing with these standard work protocols. We see other people taking shortcuts or not doing all the steps. They're more productive and not getting hurt. No negative consequences. No one's holding it accountable. There's no nothing that is stopping me from making these shortcuts. And suddenly I'm the one that's hurt because I made that shortcut. And then how do we react to it? How do we systemically go forward and show this is for safety, that we do it because we want this to be safe for you? Great points there. It really, that's one of my great passions is safety learning, especially for people new to the workplace or people new to your workplace. It's important that we give that level of education. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. As always, thank you for joining me. And until next time that we chat, stay safe. listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the conversation on the web at www.thesafetydude.org. All opinions expressed on the program are solely the view of the individual and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast.